0: with this thing. What's wrong with this thing? I think it's busted.
1: Busted. Gentlemen, those beyond the binary, poets, perverts, explorers of all kinds, dill wees, dill holes, hole punchers, punch drunk hole diggers. Welcome to busted mouth on Q4 Radio every Monday from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. Right here on Q4 Radio, streaming around the world at Q4.org. Q-U-E-4.org. Shots. It's a shot. Uh, it's a shot. See what I did to myself? It's a show. You know it. Uh, Most of Chicago-based artists share uh, stories, talk about their process, their favorite records, etc. Today is just a little bit different. I uh, I had the pleasure of sitting down with non-Chicagoan, founder of Right Bloody, singer of songs, destroyer of worlds, Mr. Derek C. Brown. Uh, the C stands for Can You Believe It? Or Cantankerous. Or Catatonic. Or California, where the Elder Brown resides. The Elder Brown, of course, is the name of his brewgrass group. I, they played Tom Snyder last night That's a very that's a very date-specific sentence, that one uh, That conversation shall be yours in the 1 o'clock hour I will do my best, I promise, to stop talking like an idiot uh, What's good? How you feeling? You alright? It's starting to warm up a little bit, things are okay We got a election on the uh, upcoming Somehow Donald Trump just got cleared from the Mueller report Which is almost unbelievable, but is it really? Of course not What's good? How are you? Party people Guten Morgen bitter. That's rock music? Yeah, yeah, that's rock music. You're listening to Busted Mouth on Q4 Radio, QUE4.org, streaming around the world every single Monday, 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. Chicago time. Uh, my name is J.W. Basillo, as it always is, and uh, I'm here. I'm the guy in charge of this of, I mean, of this particular two-hour set, one day a week. Anyway, uh, where are we? How are we? We doing all right? Friends, people, can you believe it? Can you believe it? The day is almost upon us. We are one week away. We've been talking about it. You've been thinking about it. April 1st, next week, it is finally happening. Old Love Handles is doing another 90 workout and 90 day challenge. That's right, do it with me. Do it with me. Uh, The busted mouth get right for the summer workout plan. I stole that, but that's fine. We don't talk about him anymore. Uh, 30 before daylight, if you remember, was was ultimately a bust because I got really sick uh, right in the middle. And it made it impossible to actually hit 30 because I couldn't uh, stand up. And also, there were days where I was sad and couldn't stand up. I was too sad to do squats. Hashtag too sad to do squats. Hashtag my eyes are sweating. Hashtag because I thought of this one time when I was seven. Wait! That's not even the big news. That's not even the biggest of news. One week from today, April 1st, is the day old Sad Hound Jones finally goes on mental health pills. Big Pharma, here I come. T'was all I could stand. I couldn't stand no more. Uh, 25 years late. It's time we get under the hood and start messing with stuff. And I thought you've been under the care of mental health doctors before, you might say, inquisitively. Thank you very much. Uh, Is that not going under the hood in this particular analogy that you've set up and answered yourself? And funny, you should ask me, yes and no simultaneously. We've been under the hood before, but that's mostly just been me paying like 200 bucks an hour for someone to lift the hood and then stand next to me staring at it going, "Uh, you see that? Yeah, it's not supposed to be doing that well i can't fix it you have to fix it give me 200 bucks see you next week bring money uh so i've been seeing someone over at the uh center on halstead halstead where uh where people like me like me who uh who suddenly lost their aca coverage and then got denied by their employer for coverage and then got denied by bridge medicaid because <laughs> we're living in a great country uh people like me get a chance at proper care shout out to those good people at the center uh it is early days but it has been somewhat helpful like um I, I like the guy that I'm that I'm seeing, uh, even if he's, um, <clears throat> I suspect, perhaps uh, working on some credit hours. And at one point last week, uh, he did just look at me and, and shake his head and just said, uh, wow, you're that's a, that's that's a lot you're dealing with. I I, I don't know exactly uh, what to what to do next before he before he caught himself and like moved on to something. And I, I was like, I, I felt strangely validated uh, when a mental health care professional looks at you and goes, oh, uh, whoo. Yikes. Uh, <laughs> I did feel a little validated. But also, uh, I wanted to say to him, just, uh, hey, you shouldn't do that. I'm, I'm cool. But, like, don't do that with other people. Uh, but now, though, now, when I get up on these pills, I'm fitting to be invincible. Invincible. I expect to be uh, kinder and gentler. I, I expect to feel a greater sense of general wellness. Uh, I expect to immediately enjoy selfies. I expect to make Transformation Tuesday, like, A thing that I just, like, say, uh, not only uh, in hashtags, but also just, you know, in life. Like, hey, what's up? Hey, happy Transformation Tuesday. Um, What else? I expect to grow two inches. I expect to lose between, like, 10 and 114 pounds. Uh, I'm going to gain 100 points on my credit score. Uh, My black clothes will all become the exact same shade of black, so I won't look weird. Uh, Toilet paper, nine ply. Nine Nine. Uh, None of my Lyft drivers will wear horrid cologne and insist that I live in an alley. Like, so you have to get out now. I'm like, I don't live in this alley. And none of them are going to do that anymore uh, with the pills. Uh, People will stop making direct eye contact with me whilst actively pissing on the red line. Uh, My uh, porn will be, I think, ad-free and uh, free of off-putting chatter and weird uh, gagging stuff. You know, when that thing happens and you're like, ah, you ruined it. Um I will answer the phone uh, the first time it rings with absolute enthusiasm. Hell yes! I can't wait to talk to you on a Monday, robo-dialer, because I now speak Korean! I speak Korean! Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses will will start uh, th- taking uh, uh, the piss off as an answer, so I won't have to walk downstairs and pretend to be Jewish every Saturday. Stop bugging me on Shabbos! You're lucky I answered the door. My helper's on vacation. Um... I will be able to see the future, I think, and uh, that that makes sense, and I'll also be able to travel into the past to either fight crime and or place bets on sporting events that I already know the outcome of, and uh, also will destroy the negatives to Back to the Future too, so nobody will pick on what I'm doing, uh, because that movie never existed now, idiot. Uh, I'll stop calling people that I just made up idiots. Uh, What else? Uh, Strangers will probably walk up to me on the street and say, my... You seem confident and totally not depressed. Would you like a job and perhaps some health insurance? And I'll say, like, no thanks. Someone in line at the Dunkin' Donuts already offered me a job. And as the new CEO of Apple, clearly I'm overqualified for whatever trash company you represent. And now that I've lost between 10 and 114 114 pounds, my silhouette looks the nuts in this black turtleneck. Uh, My junk shall stand defiant as bronze. My junk will grow its own junk my junk's junk will kill a bear. Or maybe I'll just want to live life again. You never know. Life is unpredictable.
0: I've been walking
1: on eggshells. Maybe it's just me being paranoid. But it's starting to creep me out. It's starting to creep me out.
0: Everybody knows one thing. If there's nothing for you, then Sometime we're gonna be More alive than anything you believe Oh well I've been hearing things with nothing said It's it just me being in my head Cause it's starting to freak me out
1: it's
0: Starting to freak me out Do we need an intro piano to kick everything off? <laughs> You, Only if you really want to play it Do you have an intro uh, song? That yeah, comes
1: I, have an, I, w- I have an intro song
0: Okay, I have a feeling I should grab that Because we might need it If for you a- grab it right now, we can use it
1: Yep, story checks out That's how you, uh, that's how I punch my joke yeah. have... Wait a minute, you Oh, so rather than having like a get her done Your catchphrase is a toy piano?
0: Um, uh, That's what she said That's what okay. <laughs>
1: It's pretty good. That's not bad. I'm lounging. This is the most relaxed I've ever been. They call
0: it Soap on a Rope. Are we recording yet? We are recording. Oh,
1: sh- We're rolling. No, it's okay. I'll use all of this. Uh, hi. So I'm sitting. Um, this is, it's so weird when I pretend like this. You don't all, you the listeners don't all know what this is. Uh, so I'm sitting with Derek C. Brown. You don't know what the C stands for, but I do. He's uh, an author and a comedian. owns a, a, He's a publishing mogul, a magnate, if you will. What do you? What's the term you like to use?
0: Publisher? I like mogul's fun because it's difficult to get around. Wow. Hit the keys. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you really missed a wide-open
1: opportunity. I didn't think that was funny, so I have no, to was... wait
0: till it's really good, and then it gets a jingle.
1: Is it better to punctuate a joke that's just okay, or is it better to punctuate a joke that's so terrible you have no choice but to punctuate it?
0: Let's try it during this. I'll try it both ways. Great. And we'll let the audience decide where they can call in.
1: Yeah. That'll work yep. They uh, We do have a call-in feature It probably won't happen during this particular episode Because we're recording this in our friend Joel's
0: basement But if someone calls me on my phone And oh, says, at your phone. hey, yes. I heard you and Baz were doing a radio show right? Uh, and I'm, I'm a caller And I'm calling in to say I don't like it when you punch the funny ones up mm. Can you please just punch up Oh, we could do like balance. a reader
1: poll I understand what you mean
0: Yeah, so I'll just text a whole bunch of people to call me See who's available <laughs> We'll get some callers <laughs> on this radio show.
1: Ah, that's fun. That's fun. Uh, okay, so publishing mogul, poet, and uh, author now playwright, now uh, librettist. They lib- say is that what they call it? Mm-hmm. A libret. I never knew. Yeah, Pl- uh, librettist. Uh, what's the what is that new thing you're working on?
0: It's uh, when, when you write a the book, which is the script. Uh, they switch all the lingo for everything. Of course, musical. Make I weird. wrote a new musical about uh, being struck by lightning. And uh, it is in its final stages of these next two weeks, and it goes up April third at the Met Theater in Los Angeles. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, so, but we're doing it as a live reading with just like sets and one piano instead of all the violins and everything. <laughs> right, right. We don't have investors. I invested and put it up a year and a half ago, and it was way too early, and uh, it was not ready. What <laughs> well, Two and a half hours long. I mean that's, that's, that's not necessarily too long for
1: a musical, but that's a long way to go for a musical that isn't fully right. isn't fully vested and doesn't have sets and every, you know everything else.
0: We had some set pieces. I was like, "Hey, uh, world." Come check out this thing I'm working on. I'm just gonna put it up and dump some money into it. And isn't that an exciting way to live? And in a way, it's like I'm glad I got it up, but I got to see like massive problems. Uh, with like, for example, in Act Two, we changed scenes a lot, mm-hmm. and then I was like, "Oh, can't be changing scenes that much. It kills. Like, it adds like 15 minutes of set change time." Right, right, right. So I learned the hard way, and. Sometimes it's good to just charge into th- something, and sometimes it's good to wait a little bit. And I'm trying to learn to balance between both. But you've always been that kind of dude, like the charging to into stuff. get it done.
1: Well, yeah, like uh, you've told the story to me. Private, I don't know. I don't want to overdo anything, but I mean, you've told the you told the story to me about how you started Right Bloody, which is now a, one of the top indie. Press is out there,
0: yeah. Uh, people, it really, really is. If people would stop poaching our authors, we could maintain yeah. being one of the top. That's, ones. that's indie I mean, that's what are you, you going to do there? But the it's a new thing. Most people were like, uh, "We don't want your poets. We don't want uh, your poets. little fringe authors. Yeah, they're n- not interested. We want novelists, right? And I was like, "Well, I, I love that the people are traveling around, crashing on couches and stuff. And there's a whole new wave of people that are, you know, cutthroat and being like, "I want that trauma money." And so I was like, uh, yeah, all right, yeah, yeah. go for it. Yeah, and
1: you, I mean, when you started Write Bloody, it was because, retell the story, but it was something about how you got a discount publishing your own book by, you tell the story. Go I quickly. was
0: on a couple different presses. One was Mood Organ Distro. One other one was Far Star Fire. And um, um, I was noticing those presses had folded. And then um, I needed books for tour in Germany. And so they gave me the rights to the book, and I was like, oh, man, I think I'm going to have to fund this myself. So I called up a printer, and I said, how much is it to print, like, a 1,000 books? They're like, are you a publisher? I was like, nope. And they're like, it'll be about eight or nine bucks a copy. Uh, If you do, like, 2,500, it goes down quite a bit. I was like, "Ah, that's too much. Mm and uh, so i called up another one and they're like are you a publisher and i was like yes (laughs) and they said well if you're a publisher and you think you'll do between six and 12 titles a year we give you a discount i was like oh we definitely do and they're like what's the name of your press i was like well let me get back to you i'm going to put up the official quote and stuff yeah i had my buddy whip together a website in a week based off my tour t-shirt that said Derek brown right bloody it's like a little fun slogan so yeah so right bloody was just a slogan it wasn't the Rope, was my gotcha. Derek Brown's tours slogan. Got you, got you, For like, I'd um, I'd make up some little slogan, um, on a T-shirt whenever I toured somewhere, and every tour had a different slogan, and then I just stopped doing that. Um. So. They were like, yeah, uh, well, since you're a publisher we see your website with the three titles on it, uh, we'll give you the books for like five or six bucks a copy. Sweet. And, uh, that's what was way cheaper. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can sell these for 15 with an ISBN. Maybe I'll get them in bookstores someday. As I was touring around, I met Buddy Wakefield and Andrea and Anise and all these people. And I was like, Hey, I know, even though we're not in academia, I now know a way you can get your books into bookstores and do all this. Fun promotion stuff. And all you need to do is get the ISBN, real layout, uh, spine, all this stuff. I figured out how to do it for cheap. Um, And you just have to lie. (laughs) Yeah. And so the first book we did with Buddy, I was like, hey, let's just do it at cost and you do your thing. And then I was like, what if we could figure out a way to like market these and promote them and get a better distribution deal? Because we didn't have any. The way it was distributed was I'd mail some to Quimby's. And i check in on them every month. and be like, hey, we sent you 10. How are they doing? They're like, "Uh, we only have eight in stock. Two must have been stolen. And I was like, oh, my gosh. uh, This is going to be a nightmare if we ever have, like, 20 bookstores we're in. Right. So then it uh, just progressed, and now it's been 15 years.
1: Man. Uh, It just seems like you've always been that, that dude who just says yes. Like, you know, I'm
0: interested in trying it. Yeah, let's go for it. Like, you're just always that guy. Well, I learned, like, that right bloody taught me to, like, I remember calling up a Borders in Long Beach and I said, hi, I, uh, uh, I'm the owner of Right Bloody Publishing and I would <laughs> like to have my books in your store. Um, would you like to buy them off me? I'll give you a great deal. And he's like, ha, that's not the way it works, man. Who's your distributor? I was like, I'm the distributor. He's like, okay, this is all wrong. You can't, you don't place order. I work here, um, uh, in, in reference This is not what you do. Um, But I used to work for a small press in New York. Let me give you some tips. Get a distributor, have three years worth of tax returns, show some progress, build a brand, have at least 12 titles. Like all of these things, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to get my act in shape in order to make this work. Getting the distributor was a huge thing. Nowadays, like I've vouched for a couple presses, maybe one or two I shouldn't have to get this awesome distribution deal. But the distributor that everyone wanted at the time was SCB Distributors because they had a sales team that would go out and hit the U.S. twice a year. And I really wanted them. They're like, yeah, no, we're not going to take poetry because uh, it doesn't sell. Mm -hmm. And you have to sell at least, like I don't know, 10,000 copies a year at least. I was like, oh, well, first year we sold 40 and the second year we sold at least 150. So right. I'm imagining next year we're going to get up to three or 400 copies. And they are like, no, not interested. Show us the numbers and keep track of them. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get an accountant and do all this right. And we finally got that distribution. It took us years um, of record showing. And then um, it's still jamming, which is I'm, I'm pumped on. And our worker, uh, um, our vice president, Allie, really – helps keep it afloat too
1: but you never really planned on like being a magnate by any stretch you were just like trying to make your own books and then try to get your friends in the next thing you know like was there a point when you went i'm too far down this rabbit hole now i have to now i guess we have to do this to the end
0: well it was it was interesting well there was two moments where um when uh my pals were just coming to me and saying hey i want a book and i was like Cool, Victor. Cool, Leah. You yeah, lay out sure. our books, so we'll make a book for you. And um, I noticed that once we switched over to them just buying the books, I was like, I'll get you these printed and we'll just put them on the press. Right. Once once I fronted the money and took the risk, I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't just put out my pals even if I love them. Uh, because if I do four mistakes, it'll tank the press. Of course, yeah. Um, because you have to order a whole bunch. In order to get the cost down. Mm -hmm. So, say I order a thousand, uh, then uh, some books only sell 250 copies. Sure. Even if we market it and get press and all that. And uh, then your momentum after six months dies, and then you'll sell like eight books a month or something. Man. So, it was scary. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. We got to do a submission contest Mm -hmm. and try and pick the best. Hi
1: guys! Oh, hello. <laughs> hey guys. All right.
0: This is my manager, Xander. Oh, this is going? uh,
1: old Xando. Say
0: hello. Hi. He's fifty-two years old and has the voice of an angel. He's got that Ben that Benjamin Button thing. <laughs> yes, it's <That's> good. <laughs> yes. Um, what's the best part about managing me? What do you like the most about me?
1: I like that he he
0: plays with my dog and me. Yeah, That's I th- was hoping you're saying that my work is uh, really wonderful, right? But I am also really great at playing with dogs. It's a relationship business. It really is.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're back on back on track. Went too far. Yeah, I think it's interesting when you're talking about not um, not just putting out your friends' things because four failures could tank the press.
0: People don't realize. and not that your friends suck and can of, tank it, but of like, course not. They might not be able to turn that much. It may not be connecting with the market at the time. They. Uh, who knows, but like uh I was choosing based off of like I know you, you're sweet, uh here you go, sure, and then I was like, I wonder how you make this thing go. let's try and figure out how to choose the very best writing and performance stuff, so we had the rigorous video manuscript contest, yeah, and the the
1: manuscript contest uh was really popular, I don't want to get too necessarily inside baseball on poetry, but just the I idea that like you went from making putting out your own book in order to get a de- in order to get a decent discount mm-hmm. to putting out your friends books to now you became the press that all of the for lack of a better term the 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 performance poets or the spoken word poets the slam poets all kind of came everybody wanted to get on right bloody when they saw that like there's a real publisher that is actually publishing performance poets and not just people that are attached to academia
0: well we we had a big hill to climb which was how do you convince the poets who've been performing their poems that editing for the page rules? Yeah, right. That even if you like this is how I memorized it, hey, uh what you read is such a different impact. Of course. So that was the first thing is convincing them maybe we do two sections where you have your hits and then you have super powerful page power. Yeah. Um and so that was step one. Step two was letting everyone know, like, okay, from now on. It's not you turning your manuscript and I flip your book in a month. It is now a year of work of marketing and catalogs and and mailing arcs out and editing and then tweaking covers and all of this stuff is um a crazy amount of work that it seems like well why does it take so long? Well, you know, proofreading and all of this stuff is we, our books weren't that well proofread in the beginning <laughs> in the beginning because sure. I was like uh, well, they get it You know, we're small press We don't have money for that It's just part of the punk rock oeuvre I'm gonna let the uh, poet proofread it Because they know their work Maybe they misspelled it It'd be cool Yeah And I was like, that's all gonna right, go right, right. away So we've been tightening that up And that's um What I find
1: interesting, I think, about that Is that you you seem to have You're very accomplished you sold a lot of books You've
0: got, what, nine titles out? Ten titles? I have, I Well, I have three kids' books And nine poetry books Nine poetry books Plus the kids' books uh and one mime book and and, that is a (laughs) hot seller what was that what was the what what was it dick richards is that his name dick richards launched a book called working mime to five that's good
1: that's good i remember when you came you stayed at my place and this is like 2009 i think you were doing the green mill and you're like i've got this character i want to do called dick richards and we went over to that like dollar store you remember this and bought like uh trucker hats and uh old lady reading glasses and stuff because you signed up for the open mic. Oh my gosh. You remember as this Dick as Dick Richards?
0: No, I don't remember this, but how did it go? <laughs> I don't, I'm trying to remember too. Cause he's the years, world's worst poet. He's a very bad poet. in his mind, the world's most fantastic cruise ship. Mine,
1: <laughs> but the, uh, yeah, you signed up for the open mic and, uh, he called in Mark, Smith called you up and's like, uh hey, well like we'll welcome uh I think he's a new guy and Dick Richards, and you just got up and went up there and it was, crowds- was Mark
0: like ah oh, Jesus. Yeah, who uh <laughs>
1: like he, he knew he was had half like as you were walking to the stage, you knew he was had, but he he's you know, he showbiz enough to play along. And uh
0: yeah, they they didn't love you. It would be so fun to do Dick Richards now, ten years later. And um, except that he would be annihilated online, and people would videotape it, and then they'd try and figure out who he really was, and then I would actually be annihilated <laughs> Derek Brown would be annihilated, <laughs> and I was like no it it's it's a funny thing, it's kind of punk rock to be anti everything no, not feeling it no hurts too many feelings, okay, sorry. <laughs> Uh yeah so
1: okay what was i getting at all right so you got the nine titles and the kids books and dick richard's book um and you've done very well for yourself but it seems like you never really gave a damn about the proper publishing world like a lot of folks are constantly submitting to journals constantly submitting to manuscript contests um working up through academia getting mfAs and that never, that sort of thing never appealed to me i never found it very interesting to just get my poem in a magazine even though i've been in like I, i've been in things like that i just never really cared um so to see you early on go up you had some slam experience limited slam experience but like speech debate all that kind of stuff and you were just like eh, you know what the hell with it i'm gonna figure out how to make this work i thought was really always thought it was really inspiring
0: i think it's from being in a band where i was like um i get to see this model That it's not... You don't want to play as many shows as possible. You don't want to play your hometown as often as possible. You don't want to take every gig... But what will happen is that your album, even if it's not mixed that great, will become a souvenir of the experience of seeing you live. Sure. And I was like, that will make the album more valuable. And so that stuck in my mind. I was like, I think poets should do that, too. And authors should treat their books not just like, of like, hey, I made this in the woodshed. Let's put it out in the world and see if anyone buys it. It, it acts as like a souvenir of the show. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of neat. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but I actually have an agent for a novel out in new york and i do try and do the the route where i'm trying to push a novel into the world and and go that traditional route also but um it's a long grind but the one thing i i i can measure how journals affect an author and it rarely ever bumps up their sales Mm -hmm. i think it makes an author feel pretty good Sure. When you're in a whole bunch of journals, it's nice to have quotes on the back of your books. But a lot of people don't know also that like Kirkus reviews, whenever you see like certain reviews, those are paid for by the publisher, and they charge you to read your book. Wow. And then you can also do a feature where if it's not a good review, you ask them to not publish it. Hmm. So there's all these weird little money-making scams that people put on publishers. Like some awards, they'll ask you for a uh two hundred dollar entry fee from the forward right. book reviews or right, whatever right, right. like that and we did it for a few years And i was like wait a minute wait a minute this is a total racket um just like some presses do a thing where um uh where they will have a year-round submission period and they'll take books from uh pakistan saudi arabia ireland even though they're like we don't know how to market in those places but we'll still take your manuscript of course and your $30 entry fee uh, of course and we're going to put out four books this year and we're going to read 5000 entries uh really you're going to punish a few interns to to skim through them and be like no 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 and i so there's so much scamming going on in, yeah, in you publishing and in like amazon mm-hmm. and things like that, that you don't learn about till you're too late and you're you're way deep in the publishing world they're like oh my gosh the profits are very low per
1: book sure yeah and then you get these presses with the year rounds that are making what you know 15 20 grand to just
0: run a competition just to a, just to oh, not yeah. do anything and some of them are nonprofits that also get money from the state right so like the person running the press has a very nice house maybe four or five employees and an office and they're just putting out dog crap because they're like oh this is keeping me afloat of course and uh, there's no impetus to do anything else. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. But I, w- I wish those publishers got in their cars, traveled around a bit, knew what it was like to put on a reading that impacted people. And yeah. they're like, oh, you jacked up my heart. This is so good. And then you're like, oh, this is this is important. Um, it's just not important to sell a whole bunch of books. It's important to be unforgettable of the, the experience
1: of hearing them live. So. Just to change change up a little bit, so you're kind of the, um, it's weird, it, it is, I'll acknowledge that it's a little weird. I've known you longer than most of the people I, I know, uh, so to have this conversation is How long has it been? We, I've known you since 12? 2005, 2006. So, like 29 12. years? Yeah, 29 years, I think, of the math. Yep. Just checked out. Good. I'll take a half one. Um, You kind of become like, you are, you know, you talk about being in a band and the, the greatest band title, the greatest band name I think I've ever heard the john wilkes kissing booth
0: still great not a popular name in chicago i mean not yeah in illinois really yeah a lot of abraham lincoln fans here yeah but I, okay I, I see your point. <laughs> <laughs>
1: for a second i thought you were serious i'm like ah come on well, i'm like
0: Fuck that Republican. sorry. <laughs> it's all right i'll,
1: I'll believe line. it <laughs> 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 so you go from you so you kind of become the the rock star poet like you've just full full disclosure, like you've been on tour with Eugene Merman, you've done all kinds of stuff with with quote unquote Hollywood celebs that places that a lot of poets never got to.
0: Two things, uh, which kicked it off in in a really neat fashion. I feel like the first the first two really neat things was Cold War Kids, yeah. saying, "Hey, we think this could work. Let's go to Europe." And I remember that first tour. It started in Scotland, mm-hmm. and we I didn't know what their draw was. I didn't know they were so huge or that Hang Me Up the Dry was about to go big. But you knew them through Long Beach, right? They loved John Wilkes Kissing right. right, right. Yeah. and they weren't in a band, and I went and performed at their college once and then became friends with the bassist. He would like come and see all of our stuff, and he was an artist named Matt Most who eventually became a, a cover designer mm-hmm. for us. He, mm-hmm. he designed uh, I Love You's Back and Butterfly Knife, and he'd do very simple, interesting designs. I met him once. Nice guy. Cool guy. Anyway, going. on. Um, and they weren't a band. It was it, War Kids was his little art collective. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, hey, uh, fellow students, uh, uh, we all like the John Wilkes-Kissing booth. Why don't we try and do our own band? Right. And um, they said, hey, it'd be kind of fun if you person who inspired this thing, uh, or who inspired all of us, not that I inspired their music or anything, but um, or the opener. And I went from a, a show in Arkansas for four people in a bookstore. It was so sad, I just took out a puppet off the shelf, and I had the puppet do the rest of the show. And I return my rental car and I fly over to Scotland. Wait,
1: that's, how, that's how you bail. That's how you kept the bit alive was just like, this is so bad. I'm pulling a puppet. I'm I like- was
0: like, nothing matters. <laughs> I do these shows that'll go a hundred people down to 20 and sure. then from 20 down to four people. Cause I was trying to do a thing where like, I would say like, Hey, dear promoter in the city, can you book a couple openers of where their friends will come and then I'll feature and we'll do like a, a, a friendly showcase. where We're all featuring and, and promoting and um sometimes everything was wrong it was the wrong time of day the opener didn't bring anyone yeah Uh, i didn't draw and um and then you kind of get down on yourself you're like well i'm gonna screw around now uh and because my mind needs it because i'm feeling it's depressing so uh then you get i got to scotland it was sold out thousand person show and i was like do I do the same set I was doing yeah. in
1: Arkansas? <laughs> do I bring the puppet out? How
0: how will this go? And yeah. then the first track, they lost their mind. I did Hot for Sorrow, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I want to do this all the time. Uh, <clears throat> then they liked it, and we did it again. I think we did it in the U.S., and uh, then a whole bunch of fun things started happening Where like Richard Swift uh, Rest in peace He was like hey let's record some of this stuff I'll do the music And mm-hmm. and you can do this And we'll make an album called Black Urchin And then um, Amber would get on the motorcycle And we'd go Amber Tamlin would get on the motorcycle And we'd do little motorcycle poetry tours and, and then the other big break was David Cross was said Hey I have to curate a, a stage at all tomorrow's parties um, I'm going to do Reggie Watts Eugene Merman John Glazer, John Benjamin, and you. And I was like, uh, well, you know what I do, right? Right. Those are all like sweet comedians. <laughs> He's like, no, I think it'll be great. And it was great. It was so awesome. I did it with a live band behind me. It was so fun. Those were like the big changes. So those people like took a chance. And then Eugene Merman just kept taking me out and introducing me to other comedians. And his shows were always sold out. And those are the best shows. And it's It's just amazing that you're – but you didn't – Rival yeah. Sons too Yeah they're Rival like, Sons Let's see how this is Here's a bunch of like classic rock super fans Want to see if it works People just want to take a chance It's also a little easy that I don't have gear I have like a computer Yep And uh, they're like Doesn't cost any money Adds nothing to the road. <laughs> how writer. much space will you take in the bus Okay great One box Got it <laughs> One box of farts <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, Yeah it's, it's, it's just It's cool the way that you have uh, held on though, like I'm. I'm a poet, right? So when I think about myself, it's like I play music, but I also write some poems. I tell jokes. I do a bunch of stuff, and it's hard. I've been uh, take a shot at home if you're listening, because uh, f- you've heard me have this conversation four times already. But because uh, I'm still trying to figure out how to build things, um, I think if I have a guitar in my hands, I have to be a musician first in people's brains. Um, but you aren't just a poet like you, you don't just get up there and just read poems you do other stuff
0: man i had a long conversation with eugene Merman but that's exactly what and, i'm leaning to is this conversation. and Kristen Shaw and yeah. kurt braunler about this where i said mm, i'm in well i mean uh, <laughs> they're they're like people i, I, <laughs> I know I should, they're, they're famous we get it go on they're yeah. people i turn to where i'm like yeah uh, should, they're your I, friends. should i do this show right um but they're the reason i mentioned because they're comedians. Who have an insight and they, they also put on shows. They all, they all book like either festivals that they run or live show, live Monday night shows. So I said, I'm having trouble getting booked at decent comedy shows. The comedy shows are like really fun to squeeze poetry into. Um, Should I drop everything with the poetry thing and just say, I'm a writer. Cause I write all kinds of stuff right and then just pitch myself as a comedian to try and get more spots and they said no no uh it's not interesting to be another comedian in Los Angeles right it's really weird that your poetry is not annoying mm-hmm. you are all of us the first poet that doesn't make us want to uh, blow our brains out yeah. it's like well, that's very nice of you very <laughs> cool And I was like, okay, well, I'll just keep saying poet until, and it's still not easy to book a gig. I'm like, trust me, please. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's still hard to get the d. There's like a buttload of shows in LA for comedy, but it's only a few are really great. It's hard to get on those still. Is there as a poet? As a poet, so you're still living in Long Beach. I moved back to Long Beach. Got out of Hollywood. Did not like living in Hollywood. What did you like about Hollywood? There's a lot of crime in our neighborhood. We were on the edge of a uh, little Armenia and uh, a Thai town. And uh, in this area by this home Depot off of sunset, it was very affordable, but it was uh it was just gnarly crime. And so it started uh, affecting this apartment complex area. I was, it's just bad news. And uh, I was like, I thought I needed to live here, that it would somehow help uh to be in the mix uh but the truth is i love being by the beach and palm trees Mm -hmm. and good weather Mm -hmm. and nice people not that long beach doesn't have gnarly parts but like it's a little easier to navigate
1: not long beach feels different i remember when we you and i did some shows full just actually i don't think i ever prefaced this uh you i was a part of a tour called the solomon sparrow's electric whale revival which was you and buddy wakefield Anis mojgani uh mike mcgee dan lehman and I was driving, and occasionally opening and counting the money, and making sure the merch didn't run out the back door, uh, which I'd turned into a lot of things in my life. Actually, like doing that tour, I was like, oh yeah, now I now I do like merchandise for a large theater. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Whatever. Uh, long story short, um, we ended up doing a thing on the Queen Mary. Oh, Remember yeah. this? That was the first double
0: decker poetry bus party.
1: You're me. right. And we do it, and then we end up in Long Beach at some bar that I want to say Bukowski used to drink in.
0: Well, there was three big ones. One was the Reno Room, and he loved the Forty Nine er, and he loved, uh, I think, the V Room.
1: And the reason I bring this up is, so, I remember, I remember being like saying something to the effect of me not being a midwestern kid just being like "Eh, i don't know if i really trust la but long beach seems cool and everybody around there was like long beach is where you is is a completely different space even though it's you know what 45 minutes away from la or whatever from hollywood yeah Yeah. it's 30
0: minutes from downtown it's south it's west it's the last city before you're out of la county and it's a working class town that used to be all like prostitutes merchant marines gangs my kind of party and uh and a navy shipyard so they were very scared to get rid of it and because they're like we don't know what to do and bill clinton was like i'm shutting down a lot of bases we're making too many weapons so they shut it down and then they were like what do we do and they're like let's open an aquarium and it changed everything slowly in that town and it made it safer everything trickled out from that aquarium Everything trickled out from the aquarium. A new collection
1: of poems. Squid. By Derek C. Brown. Uh, What's the new book all about? I feel like I'm asking you a lot of questions. It's weird. I like it. It's weird.
0: Um, I like it because then I don't have to feign interest.
1: (laughs) Yeah, all I got to do is talk about myself. (laughs) Um,
0: uh, Hello, It Doesn't Matter is a book in three parts where the first part is um, this connection with romance which i'm like this is what i'm this is what i love doing this is my wheelhouse writing books about love that's your whole game yep yeah. and then the second part is devastation <laughs> when you have the rug ripped out from under you uh and then you're like oh my gosh i i have to do better inventory when i'm dating someone so that they can say like uh by the way this is bad news you got to get out but uh, come on that's, yeah that's my yeah. response I can't do that ever again. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And then the third part is uh, uh, looking out and like from viewpoints of God and Disneyland and all. It's a little bit more weird. Oh, so it's a that, book and I three. I forgot points. how much
1: I love that Disneyland poem. Because we did the show last summer when the book had just come out. And I think you didn't close with it, but it was somewhere in there. The uh, The what is it the Derek
0: amusement? brown is the disneyland of comedy
1: yeah yeah yeah. Well, you saw that story how that came about
0: oh well yeah so uh, uh i used so someone wants to change my wikipedia page and then i would change like i remember changing david's wikipedia page also and waiting for him to see it and just trying to make amber laugh and then right, i'd send her right, a message right. and you load some bs on there and then the story is that um uh, I actually don't know if it was on Wikipedia that someone posted this, but someone said that uh, Derek is the Disneyland of comedy, and I'm like, that doesn't mean anything.
1: It doesn't. And it also, it doesn't seem apt, but it also doesn't mean anything.
0: It's, it's almost like, um, well, Disneyland's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but I'm I'm not like cracking up. Also, if you could sell those units, like if your merch deal was Disneyland big, yeah, using like- my.
0: Wait, I think they just bought. <laughs> I was. I can't hold it while I'm thinking. I know. Oh, um, yeah, he's... I think they just bought Fox, Disney. So, yeah. So I think that's gonna Not get a bit crazier. Is that
1: antitrust though? Because if they own ABC and Fox, can you own two networks? I, I mean, I guess. Get, you can. I guess
0: they. I guess Trump says you can. Okay. Good for him. Uh, so you're the
1: Disneyland of comedy, and that was it. But then you wrote the poem, right?
0: Yeah. Where I I invented my own disneyland <laughs> a disneyland of sorrow every ride is based on a sorrowful experience uh, i usually skip the uh suicide one because i'm like everyone's laughing and then that one i know to slam the brakes on so hard i couldn't get them back so i skip that line whenever i read it out loud
1: how much of it is the, how much of it is the writing and how much of it is your delivery
0: the delivery in that doesn't matter. I, I still say it like a wacko, and uh, and everyone's like, ooh, hurts a little bit. And I was like, oh, it, like most comedians and writers love it when you push it a little bit, right? But um, I, I couldn't reel it back in. <laughs> they, the rest <laughs> of the poem got no more laughs. So I'm
1: full disclosure. I'm like I'm running this kind of weird line between I know you and I've known you for so long, and also I've asked you most of the things I've ever wanted to know about you. So I'm like, what I don't want to do is rehash, mm-hmm. but I also want to make it interesting.
0: Here's, Let me go through a few things that you don't know. Yes, and that that's can, where we're going. And you can figure good. out what All would right, be I'm fun start to throwing, talk about. I'll throw dumb questions at you. Go ahead. Um, <clears throat> I'm really coordinated at certain things, and I'm really uncoordinated at certain things. And I'm super good at certain sports that would impress some people because most writers just chill. Yeah, I'm pretty terrible. <laughs> What's the sport you're good at? I'm really good at volleyball, indoor, and doubles beach volleyball. You don't say. I'm really, really good. I'm really, really good at ping pong and billiards. And I'm really, really okay at darts. So it's all like hand-eye coordination stuff, angles, geometry, Almost anything with a net where I have to try and figure out how to arc a ball, Mm -hmm. except for basketball. I'm terrible at basketball. Um, My body can figure out. Oh, I want this racquetball to get down in the lower angle. I want this tennis ball to barely make it over the net. There's something weird where my body's like right on. This is my jam. Did you try to play when you were a kid? Sports I, in general? I, I, no. Well, some volleyball in high school, but nothing. I wasn't encouraged to uh, get into any sports, and I really regret it because I wish I would have hooked earlier. Like, What were you encouraged to do? I. The reason I ask is a lot of
1: people's like origin stories, for lack of a better term, is like I was ter- for so, me, for example, I was terrible at sports, but I was really good at, like, you know, the singing and the dancing and the being on stage and oh. things. So, at some point, I remember going, like, ah, to hell with this whole football thing. I'm just going to go play guitar or I'm going to go do whatever.
0: I was encouraged twice in my life when I was young. Uh, in the second grade, I was encouraged, encouraged to try T-ball. And then in the third... Third grade, I was encouraged to try basketball, and then nothing else after that. There was a a lot of tension in my family. So, my dad split when I was 11, and so uh, he just we lost communication with him. And then my uh, mom was just stressed, so she was trying her main goal was to figure out how do I not worry about him all the time? Mm. Do I ask him to just take more naps? Do I tell him when he's got to come home early? Um, There was no like. I've seen a big spark in you for painting. Let's get you in some painting classes. Sure. There's, there's, we we didn't have that. A different generation, right? Yeah, it was more like well the kids can play outside. That's right. what they need. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well that was it. I just, it just you're a little older now, I but like as a kid it was just kind of like, well, it's the summer, go
0: outside. Yes.
1: And don't come back.
0: Yeah. Don't come Figure back. Figure out a way to make some money for bus fare to go to the beach or whatever. So I was like, all right, I'm 13. Now I'm going to get my own paper route, and I'm going to suck it up every every damn morning of the summer. <laughs> How'd that go? Oh man, it was. Uh, Did part, you have like the whole over shoulder bag on your bike kind of thing? You put them on your handlebars uh, so you can reach and and chuck right, them. Right, right. I was really good at it. I hated loading them into the plastics. The worst part was collecting money uh, at oh, the yeah. end of the month because no internet uh, and. And they didn't like it mailed because people would lie and say, oh, I mailed it. I of paid course, for my course, subscription the yeah. LA Times or the OC Register or whatever. And so, um, but if you could physically get it um, with a check, everyone would pay with a check. Then you'd turn them all in and you got paid according to how much money you could collect. Not from how many papers you threw or how many hours you spent loading the papers. Right. How much money you could collect is then how much they'd pay you. And I was like, oh man. But some people are like, Oh, uh, we don't can't afford it this month. And you're like, oh no! But I gave you newspapers for a month. <laughs> it was such a weird system.
1: I had a friend in 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 my neighborhood growing up that played played. He had a paper route, and one day he's like, Hey, do you want to help me do papers? And I, it felt like a grown up, cool thing to do. Mm-hmm. So I sat there and like put together. You know, you take this, you had to assemble it by section, and then roll it and stick it in the plastic, and I. Just, I rode with him trying to carry this big old bag of heavy-ass papers at eight or nine years old or whatever it was. And I think I remember I was probably ten minutes into it before I just went,
0: yeah, this sucks. You had to load the lifestyle section, yep. the classifieds, yep. and put it all in the comics on Sunday with a nightmare. Um, I can't believe that that wasn't automated. It's so strange. We've got a caller, actually, a text. Oh, we do. Um, it says, um, "Why, Derek, why do you think you haven't made it?
1: Yeah, Derek, why is it that you think you haven't made it?
0: Um, that's a great all, question. Okay, let's, let's start with this. Let's define, let's define what making it is. Um, not worried about money. That okay. your art has given you enough money that you're not worried about money or rent. Cool.
1: And to my, the way I look at it, and the way a lot of people look at it, and for all of us that came out of that uh, poetry game of the early aughts, late 90s, And et cetera. Like we all look at it like Derek made it.
0: Yeah. It's, it's kind of cool that like, uh, I'm alive and I'm not living with the folks, but I definitely don't have a lot of bread and, uh, I have to work half my time at right bloody Mm -hmm. and then half my time on my own writing and touring and stuff. Um, so I'm not a place with a bunch of savings where I can, um, go away for six months and write. And finish a, a new book. That's fair. So I uh, yeah, definitely not there. So it's a harsh question.
1: Yeah, I, I I'm kinda mad that uh, that uh, Brian Posehn sent you that text. I don't know, I just pulled a first name out that you mentioned already.
0: Oh, another text oh, there it is. coming in.
1: No, no, you didn't answer the first one. You didn't answer this question. So what, was it? what why haven't you made it?
0: I, I just said didn't I? No,
1: I know why you feel like oh, you haven't why, been defined, uh, but why, why haven't you haven't. gotten there?
0: You know, um,
1: like why are you, why is your work ethic so terrible that you haven't gotten there? I
0: got a pretty strong work <laughs> ethic, but I don't know what the hell is wrong. Why, like, why, like, someone whose work I doesn't immi- I'm, I don't admire, catches fire on Instagram or something, sure, and then they're millionaires. Like who? Like Ruby Carr? I can't think of any names. I've, written, I've spoken a lot about Ruby Car, um, but uh garbage i wish <laughs> i knew what makes something catch fire we've put out some books where i'm like this book is so well written this is 80 percent of the fight yeah oh my gosh this is and then we'll sell 250 copies mm-hmm. and then it'll it'll start to dwindle and then uh, then there'll be a book that's like uh really good but maybe not as good am impactful on me as the other book and it'll sell 5000 copies and I'm and some are like why do you think that is did you market the other one is it because of their accessibility and I was like there is no measuring it's such a gamble every time right
1: so what is it about your books in particular you think that is that next level cuz i mean your books sell pretty well cuz you've got yeah. a decent following yeah. but like what is do you feel like you haven't written the book yet
0: that's that's going to get there well what's pretty cool is you have books out your old books will catch fire once you have, like, a novel that hits or on a TV show or something. um, Or you got a Netflix special. I still feel like that day is probably coming. Uh, So, just, uh, I'm glad they're out there. But my new books sell, like, a few thousand copies. Mm-hmm. But it's not, like, up in the 50s or 60s or anything. Right. Some books are. And, like, I'm proud when they sell. But... Most of them I'm selling by hand to each. I'm, I've met like you're almost still everyone. In that model of hustling. Yeah, I'll sell like a thousand or two thousand online, and then the next couple will be from me going, "Hello, nice to meet you, bad Steve. Here's a book. Let me sign it for right, you." Right.
1: You mentioned a Netflix special. If you were doing a Netflix special, what would the special be?
0: It would be a live orchestra, as if it was like a Frank Sinatra. <clears throat> oh, you go whole distance, okay? But um, it would be like the most. Uh, messed up Dean Martin sort of uh, kind of variety show, but I would be hosting all of the all of the stuff. And then some would be sentimental, some would be really funny, some would be odd with guests and little weird sketches, almost like laughing, like a strange ass uh, Bing Crosby Christmas special. Kind yeah, of thing? yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, for sure. Uh, tuxedos, the whole thing. Wow. Yeah, you do have that sort of like uh, feeling of pageantry to what you do. I think it'd be so fun to have like the big band up there and like. Like I was just a stupid, stupid Brian Setzer, uh that would all of a sudden snap into something that make you cry, and then you then you hear a really dumb joke, and then a mime comes out. <laughs> Are you, that's a rapper.
1: Well, our buddy uh who is now past Jack McCarthy used to say, like he's, you're never going to make someone cry if you can't make them laugh first. Mm. And you're really, and you know, a lot of my work is is both the sad and the happy at the same time right yeah and you, I, like that I think you, you really pushed that you really i wouldn't say engineered it but uh over the years your work has consistently been the happy and the sad you make people cry and laugh and both and somehow you still write a bajillion love poems
0: yeah it's it's really weird that that there is some sort of strange fire in me that like i hope that's my legacy that it's like Pablo Neruda wrote a lot of political stuff, but he's known as the love poet. He's the love poet, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I've written some really bizarre things on uh, a lot of death poems and stuff, but I hope that like, somehow some, there's a collection that's like, oh yeah, he was a love poet. And I think you're probably pretty well known as a love poet, right? I wouldn't mind that i wouldn't mind that at all i i I actually someone once told me that they boned to one of my poetry cds and then i was like looking at both of them and i was hearing my own voice coming out of my mouth and i'm watching a little slobber come out of their mouth and stuff and then they started you know working each other's buttholes right in front of me and i was like oh man it's because i'm talking i just need to stop talking
1: yeah. Well, I could see, like, if the first track was, say, like, Kurosawa Champagne, right? It's like, oh, it's got this kind of melody to it, and it's a little moody, and I could see, like, yeah, turn the lights down, right? But there is some stuff that you've put out in the world that how could anybody leave
0: that CD on? Blows my mind. Our love would be as dumb as a bomb on a boomerang. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, <sighs> uh. Hey, what was that other text you got? Oh, the other text said, from Barack Obama, it's from Rupee Cower. From Rupee Core, <laughs> keep my name out your, ma- my, your mouth. <laughs> what does that mean?
1: Uh, she knows I talk about her. Um, I, I used to do this thing, or I did this thing for a couple of days. I, I used to do a thing. I yeah, that's right. A couple of days where I would write fake Rupee Core poems.
0: Mm. Oh yeah, I have a well, nothing. <laughs>
1: <Is> that,
0: <laughs> well, you could tell me. I'll let it up. Well, I uh, I found this really cool. Uh, Instagram account called, uh, from Terry Sunshine. Yes. Called Sunshine is Light. Yes. Um, you know, the Ruby Cower thing <laughs> to talk on it for a second is it's, I don't know if we talked about this, but the idea that to me, Ruby Cower is connected to Trump and, and not, in, I'm not no. saying that in a disparaging Ooh, way on, for on. her. And here's why, because from an outsider's perspective, I don't understand why she's the accessible poet when I know other accessible poets like Sarah Kay is really accessible and she writes beautiful stuff. Sure. Um, And accessible is not a dirty word to me. I hope my stuff's accessible. But accessible and pedestrian are two different things. Right. I wouldn't, but I'm saying my connection between what was considered Ruby Caro's pedestrian approaches to not editing and not tweaking and not um, showing fresh insights or are uh, actually doing metaphors that are strong makes me go. I think I'm an outsider and I'm lost at the millions of people who love this and find huge connection mm-hmm. and, re- mm-hmm. and relief in it. And I'm the same way about Trump where I'm like, I, I bet you there's millions of people who see him as a very nice, good family man and I can't get inside their brains. So it makes me think about how I don't, uh, come to the same realization as others
1: well i think poetry makes people feel i think reading poetry what's up dude oh hey i'm just listening in. oh, oh hey we, come, this sit is, come sit down this is the next caller this is the next caller uh let me say this one thing comes please join us join us um i'll i'll you can hand the mic go ahead this is uh joel Shamara. uh the thing i was saying was that i think the act of reading poetry makes people feel smart Or they tell themselves they're smart because they're actively reading poetry. Like, I got a poetry book. I must be smart. So then if they can read something that is uh, classified as poetry, even if it's good or not, if they could read something that's classified as poetry and understand it, they feel extra smart. So that's why people get really – to me, I think that's why people get really excited about people like Rupi Core. But, like, there's a reason Chicken Soup for the Whatever Soul is a huge multi-million dollar – or multi-million copies selling – franchise is because it's just like people don't have to work at it and can still feel rewarded in that they're able to read it
0: well I don't think poetry should be too much work but I also feel like anyone who's written probably doesn't like that work anyone who's published a book probably doesn't get that into it it's pretty cool that she has opened up the eyes of a lot of people to poetry and they're like wow it's almost like this was great training wheels i like now that i'm a few years older i need a little bit more juice and a little more meat and so she's doing a great thing except that when you see people who are like selling 200 300 copies that have this fire and spark in them that is so powerful you, you, the only thing that baffles me is why didn't that really good thing that is objectively mm-hmm. good that has been worked on really hard didn't catch fire and this stuff that a lot of people who are in that industry are like, um, this is not like almost like a restaurant that makes a really good steak for 40 bucks. And someone makes a terrible steak for $40, but it's nice and small and you, and you won't choke on it. And they're like, well, that one's going to sell like crazy. Or it's cool on the inside. Or yeah. it's,
1: you know, whatever. Like there's a place. Right, right. Ooh, ooh. Or like, ooh, they they come to your table and sing. I'll pay $40 for a hockey puck.
0: It's got pop rocks it's on got top pop of hands. it.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Molecular gas economy.
0: It makes you go like, I wish I understood this.
1: Yeah, I saw her live. And it was her standing like with um, flowers around the microphone stand. And she's in this long flowing gown. And there are... 2000 people there and they're all mostly women between the ages of like 17 and 47, right. Was she engaging? No. Mm. Like thing is she's got this terrible poet voice. She goes on stage, she's she's reading to ambient backing tracks, you know, like not mm-hmm. dis- not dissimilar from what you would do mm-hmm. or from what I would do when I score things live, but like the tracks are really kind of um just I don't know, Not lame, right. I guess is the word. And her, and she got a poet voice, and the poems aren't good. And she did like two hours of this. And for some reason, and some people got up and left, I watched. But a lot of people were really into it and crying and stuff. And I just go like, what? I know, I know dozens of people. I have dozens of numbers in my cell phone that could do a better show than this right now if I were to call them. But for some reason, she got there. Well, I mean, a lot of her thing is that she had this very famous art project. I don't know if you know this whole deal, but she was documenting um, – as a visual artist, she was documenting her uh, her cycle, her menstruation cycle. And she had a photo of herself in a pair of, like, sweatpants or yoga pants, uh, and she had bled through them. And it was a picture of her laying on her bed with this with this blood stain on the pants, right? And it was a, a really well-composed image, and it was interesting because uh, Instagram took it down. And because Instagram took it down, that goes viral. Oh. People find out about it, and they're all like, ooh, well – in this might this is interesting, and that's uh, women. It's a woman's issue, and it's a lot of things. And I completely agree. It should not have been taken down. And I was interested in it. And where she succeeded is that she goes, "Well, now that I have all these eyes, I'm going to throw some of my poems up here." So she's got all these eyes, and she's got millions of followers now because people are really uh, in support of her as an artist and her viewpoint in the world. And now she gives them this very easy to swallow one screenshot poetry, and people get excited about it a lot of people who have never been poetry fans at all but they do love sentimentality they do love emotion they like that sort of thing
0: i wonder if instagram will reshape where in our generation people are writing three to four minute long poems right because you're like oh not only is this good for competitions but it's really good for a drunk bar to not do a 10 minute long poem sure and now, because how big of a screen is, how small a phone is, I think, I wonder if the future will have poets writing just enough lines to be readable in a 10 to 12 point font in an Instagram frame where it's like eight lines mm-hmm. and you'll, you're just going to get flooded with that. And maybe it'll cause compression and poems will get more powerful or maybe it, everything will start to look exactly the same length and be a little weird.
1: Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I think that uh, there, were, in publishing, a lot of us had a hard time, and I think even with Write Bloody, a lot of us had a hard time uh, because we were used to writing those three and four minute poems because there was a there's an arc and there's a there's a theatricality to it, and you have to take this audience on whatever journey you want to take them, and you know you're in charge of that, you're the captain of that ship, if you will, um, in a three to four minute poem. But a lot of publishers don't want to touch a three page poem because people don't necessarily want to read a three page poem.
0: Also, there's an issue of when you host a submission period. Uh, you do get this natural fatigue Where you don't get excited About really long pieces Of course because you just want to get through them it, Well you also want to see You You know that good writers can impact you Pretty quick And you don't want it to uh, be over too quick uh, But you want to Get there fast You don't want it to be like okay by the third page I was into it The The poem's not successful then So uh, yeah you get tired So who knows? Maybe that'll catch fire. Maybe. Shorties. Oh. We had another <laughs> caller come in with a text. Uh, Joel, can you read what this text says?
1: Yeah. Oh, this is Joel Shamara, by the way, who's going to be on the show eventually when he stops teaching. Um, he's he's here to read our guest text. Sure. The guest text is from uh, Clara in Norway. Claire, and hi, Clara. Uh, Clara in Norway says, uh, when are you coming back to Europe and are you bringing all the good tunes with you? Yeah, are that, you going back to Europe, and are you bringing all the good tunes with you?
0: <sighs> Thanks, Clara. Um, uh, Clara, you know what you did? Never call here again. That's fair. That's fair. We all heard. We've heard. Uh, I'm going one. back to Europe in August. I'm doing an Amsterdam comedy festival. See you, Joel. August 7th.
1: Is that you, but you were just in Amsterdam a couple of years ago, a few years ago, doing. you did a ballet, right?
0: Yeah, I was working with a ballet company for a full-length poem, actually up in Königin. Uh Selig. Did that for a while, then I did it, a version of it in Israel, and now they're doing one in Leipzig that I'm not part of. They're, they have German versions of me doing it in German, so we'll see. It's I would love going. to see that.
1: See, I thought I when I was in Hamburg doing some shows, uh, thinking I was hot. A hot poop Thinking I was hot to, Hot to trot Look at me And you're like Oh hey by the way I'm just over in Amsterdam You want to come over to Amsterdam My This poem I wrote They're composing this Whole ballet <laughs> I was like Yeah I'll go I'll go F myself uh, How do you feel my, like you, life sucks. Yeah, my life sucks How do you feel like You haven't made it I don't get it Like what do you still Want to do
0: uh, it, It's not that I don't have dreams To try and pull off these things I would love I feel like I'd have A creative freedom more If I wasn't Financially strapped mm. Um I think Allie at Right Bloody has freed up a lot of my time so that I'm getting to write more. So my mind's eased a little, but, you know, your income goes down.
1: Oh. Uh, <laughs> what was the thing you were telling me before about the uh, fight? In You got in a fight in Toronto?
0: Oh, yeah. When I spoke at Libertyville High School, uh, one of the kids says, well, "What? Uh, anything crazy happened when you're on the road? And I was like, lots of stuff. Um, someone once poured honey all over me. What? Um. Uh, Someone once brought their baby with them to a hotel. Um, I've been stranded. I've done shows in uh, Jewish youth groups, uh, abandoned churches, bomb shelters, all kinds of strange spots. But this fun time in Toronto, there was a show in Toronto, I unfortunately can't remember the promoter's name, but um, this suite. Asian lady was like, "Come up, um I want to help you book a show so uh anyway, I go up to Canada, we come out of the venue. And a cl- dance club was letting out at the same time the poetry show was letting out right next door to each other. Like
1: a, like a discotheque. A discotheque. Not shiny, a, not shiny a, not shirt. a dance club, like there's a club of dancers. Oh, no, not right? like,
0: yeah, not like uh, modern dancers. <laughs> that's that's, uh, that's where cool. my brain
1: went first. Like, oh, there was just this group of people in, in large, in leotards.
0: I'll right. say bad guys. Bad guys. So a bunch of bad guys come out of a disco. Yeah. And, um, and one comes up to her while I'm with her and goes, hey, question you uh you know karate and i was like ugh. and she goes are you asking me that because i'm asian he's like it's a question it's a i'm allowed to ask you a question i go hey just leave her alone and he goes Mm -hmm. do i say this he says a dirty word yeah hello xander hello dipper doodles (laughs)
1: All right, so the guy comes, and he's like... So you say, hey, just knock it off or whatever.
0: I, I go, hey, leave her alone. And he goes, F you, and yep. spits in my face. Wow. And so I reach and take my pen in my pocket, have it clenched like a little tiny pipe in my hand, and um, I was going to jam my pen into his neck. Yes. And I go to um, punch him, and I punch him, and the pen breaks. And he's punching me, and then... Uh, one of his uh, friends grabs me by the back of my backpack, mm-hmm. and the girl runs off. Uh, and um, I was like, uh oh, I'm surrounded by eight of yeah, his now friends. You're in trouble, right? I was like, "This is not good," and they all start screaming at me, like, "You think you're tough? You think you're tough?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like shoving right. me around. And the guy who had me by the backpack was actually trying to help me get out of there. Right. So he's yanking. Me. He's like, no, "Hey guys, no, you don't. You don't know what just happened." He, hey, no, he's okay. L- look, come with me. Come. With me. And he's like escorting me out, and he helped me get me out of the little crowd of weirdos. Um And uh so I caught up to her, and I was like, "That was incredible." <laughs> i need 20 beers now (laughs) yeah pure endorphins yes
1: but you've been you you were trained in uh the art of combat what with being in the 82nd airborne and whatnot i remember you saying this to me so you're like "Uh, when i was a guy when i was in the army i learned how to
0: rip a guy's face off i can only take four uh steroid dudes that's all i can take four is the top eight is not no i'm not i'm not a violent person so i don't know i'm trying not getting any fights that was terrible
1: I don't know what I would do. I've been in a bunch I mean I've I've done a bunch of fight training, but I have n- but I've been in so few fights cuz I'm usually just like let's not do this and I back out and stuff. I have no idea what would happen, like what would happen instinct-wise.
0: I have no idea. I'm I don't want to know, good. but I kind of want to know. I'm out of my mind. It's not good. <laughs> I'm not a thoughtful person <laughs> you just you go red it's madness yeah yeah look how mellow i am now yeah you're so chill
1: xander do you have any other uh any last parting words for Derek's career
0: um I... <sighs> what do you think i should do with my life yeah, what do you think Derek should do next i think he should take a vacation
1: you know it's about time you took a vacation this is a
0: great manager.
1: What with living by the beach and all, yes. <laughs> my vacations I come to Chicago and it's forty degrees. <laughs> that's yeah. how it is. You, you're you grew up on the beach. Did you ever were you a surf guy? Uh,
0: I've surfed and yeah. I paddleboard all sure. the time, but like I'm not great
1: at surfing. Yeah. It's really hard, but I love doing it. Yeah, You're doing it. So what's uh, what's next? Are you going to Amsterdam and uh, you get the book out? That's doing musical well. comes
0: out April third at the yep. Met Theater, um, and then. Uh, tour in Amsterdam in August. And then I work on the next musical night reports, the haunted baseball musical. So the musical that's
1: going up now, you are, is there plans to make it to go full production with it? Are you going to keep it as a, as a stage reading?
0: The, the next step is you submit to festivals once everything feels tight. And that's what you want to do. Yeah. And, um, and, and all the sample tracks of the rough stuff is on Brown poetry. Um, but it, uh, it's all exciting because I, I'm so naive about it all. So,
1: uh, if you had to, if you had to lay it out in terms of like what you would like to accomplish, like where you would like that musical to go, what's the plan? Like, what's the big
0: off Broadway is the goal, yeah. and then get it um, syndicated or whatever when you when it tours around sure. and opens up in different cities. Uh, I'd love to see how other cities handle it. What if, what if it was an all female cast? What if it was. Uh, uh, all young cast yeah. or something and uh, or what if it was like someone i'm going to do all like mogwai synth kind of music to mm-hmm. it i, I want to give these sort of permissions to people to do their take on it
1: i think it would do well it'd probably do well in chicago probably do well in a lot of markets i know la's a rough uh, theater market what's the what's going to be the big difference between the one you're working on now and the one i'm sorry what was the title night night, night reports night reports so what's the what's the difference there
0: well, the difference is seeing which one catches fire
1: OK, uh, well, this, but you haven't changed anything in the process to make sure this one is more successful or
0: I'm a much better editor now. Sure. Four years later. Yeah. <laughs> five yeah. years later. Um, I'm uh, I've learned to be much more critical and how to tighten things up. And so this night reports will go a little faster for sure. Cool. Uh, I'm
1: looking forward to seeing it. I hope I get a chance to, uh, where they find you. Give us the, uh, emails and the, or not the email. (laughs) Yeah, give me your personal email and your phone number. Now give me the, um, the website, uh, your, uh, your social media, all that is.
0: uh, go to brown poetry.com Brown or find me on the Instagrams at Derek Brown, poetry grazed slits. Mm -hmm. Still my favorite album
1: title. Yours got me a lot of trouble. A lot of class, a lot of class. Uh, that was, that was Derek Brown. I'm still, we're still here. Uh, Cool. Derek, thanks, man. Thanks for sitting down. All right, it's see weird. you later. See ya.
0: I'm still here. See ya.